Huzzah. I heard you there. Welcome to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman, and this guy. I think statistically I'm the person most likely to murder my wife. This is a comedy. Jason Smith. Technically, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to murder my wife, but statistically, if you look at it, it's always the husband, right? Well, it's like eight out of ten times it's the husband. But now when it happens, we're going to go back and this is going to be used as evidence against you and you're innocent. statistically... You're going to get Shawshank from this. I'm not going to get Shawshank from this. I said, from this. who's going to murder her? Why am I being framed for her murder? What did she do? You what is she involved in, Cliff Dorfman? Tell me. <laughs> Usually it's a love triangle. So if there's no love triangle, I think you're safe. All right. There's no love triangle. No. Because <laughs> no, I have to be involved in that. I have to love somebody. Oh, no. I'm just snap. kidding. Wife, I'm, I'm just kidding. Back. I love you so much. Um, I just, we, uh, I just wanted to welcome you guys to Stuck at Home. This is the show where we... You know, we just want to tell you about all the shows we love and we want you to love. Yeah, we'll tell you all about the streaming wars, what to stream, and where to stream it. And um, as not the person that's going to murder my wife, just the person that's most statistically likely to do it, um, we're going to talk a little bit about true crime, which is really exciting. I love, um, I love it. I love a little bit of true crime. And I, I like this thing, too, because um, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but my, my great-grandfather was uh, executed. No, we for, did talk about it, but please go on. Tell, tell our stuck yeah, homies. So my great-grandpa, uh, who uh, my, my mom thinks I look a lot like, who I don't think I look that much like. His name was Floyd, uh, which is like, Floyd. The, which was the cliff of that time period, the Clifford of the... <laughs> you managed to make fun of me in the execution story. That's fantastic. Well done, uh, sir. He was charged with, uh, he was charged with uh, murdering, uh, uh, a naval officer and his wife and stole their car and taken to uh, Las Vegas. Um, and he was found. Um, he was found, convicted, and executed all within a month. So he, they, he, this murder happened sometime June, July, September first. They caught him. September thirtieth, he was dead. Did they claim? Did he claim innocence, or was he, he did, like I did he it? He did claim innocence. He also didn't have much for a lawyer. Obviously, I had never heard the story told that way. The way the story I was told was always that it was a heat of passion thing, and that. Uh, he, my, my, which is still weird to think of your great grandpa. Cause that's like the olden times, but walked in yeah. on my, uh, my, my great grandma hitting it, uh, which is weird. Cause I didn't get to know her. I didn't ever know him obviously, but I knew her, but he didn't uh, kill her. He killed oh. the dude and the wife. That, that was what I was told, but that's not what happened. That's not oh. when I did the research. It was all this, this car thing. So, uh, oh, it is definitely interesting. Yeah. Research like an amateur investigator. I, did, I mean, like, I, I looked up his name. Like, you could look up <laughs> Floyd McKinney right now and crime, Crimeopedia and see the, what he did. But I, there's a whole bunch of more stories to this. But that's one of the reasons I really liked, you know, having this conversation and talking about this stuff. Because when we start talking about mysteries around our family, maybe mine's a little bit more extreme. Like, yeah, uh, Big Papa. Bit. Big bit. Papa Floyd <laughs> went off on it. He got, Floyd I Kenny? think he was called like the, La, you know, the Las Vegas or the Nevada Ripper. Um, yeah, or, like For he real? had a name. Yeah, it wasn't Ripper. It was like Slaughterer, though. But it was like a name, like, like, okay. like he got a he got the a media term. dubbed him. He got a verb applied to his name, right? Like he's not just a not just the like Lovelock, like not the Lovelock Strangler, but it was like the Lovelock Slaughterer or the Lovelock, uh, mur- like 
extreme murderer. You know, it was, I, I'll look it up during the show, but I, I, I do think that there's something fun. Obviously, that's fun. A, well, not fun, <laughs> but interesting about having to develop and look into that kind of stuff. Um, no, I agree with you on that. And this this show that we're about to talk about today with its creators is uh, it's more than fun because it kind of starts out as fun, and we'll get into it in the interview, obviously. But it kind of starts out as fun, and then it, you watch them get embroiled into this investigation, which you know is not necessarily their forte, but then they end up being pretty damn good at it. <laughs> it's it's rather compelling. And I'm, I'm sitting there going like, okay, I'm still like, oh, I got to watch another episode of this. Oh, I want to, I, oh, I need, I need to watch another episode of this. And that's, that was like the trajectory of this. And then at the end, I'm like, that's, that's it. Fuck, it's over. Like they need another mystery. Does anyone else in their family die? So <laughs> <laughs> maybe they can start on the Floyd Kenny hey, mystery next. Hey, I'm all in. Let them do it. They do a lot better job than I do. So there is this amazing show that is on Paramount Plus now. All eight episodes are available for you to binge. It is called For Heaven's Sake. And I just want to bring on right now its creators, without any further ado, Mike Milden and Jackson Rowe. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hey. Oh, this is great. You guys are out. Oh, there we go. We letterboxed you. <laughs> great to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, we're thrilled to have you, and thank you for being here. This is a big deal. I mean, Paramount Plus is putting it up as one of their shows. Like, it's on the top banner. Like, this is a this is a really nice push, so congratulations on all the success. Um, for real, it's it's really amazing. And, and it's nice to see you guys have been friends, right, since you, you met in Second City. Is that correct? Yep. We met at Second City taking improv classes in 2013, like any good comedy duo does, I think, but... <laughs> Uh, not quite the awesome Marvel origin story you'd hope for, but we became friends quickly and started making videos that led to this. No, I'm not mad at it. I think it's a pretty decent origin story, to be quite honest. Where was the second city? Is it in Toronto? Or was it's there, in Toronto, you, yeah. So second. right there, it's interesting, because who knew that Toronto had anything funny? <laughs> Ruthless. Uh, no, but that's how this goes. So now you can rip on me. Don't worry. Dan Levy was making fun of my faded hand tattoos. So bring it. We're all good. <laughs> Anything you got. I absolutely love what you guys have done here. Um, let's talk a little about how this started, if you don't mind. Because I'm curious, when you went up there, you decided to do it. Like, how does it, what's the conversation, first of all? You guys are roommates or were or are, right? Yep. So what's the conversation? You're sitting on the couch? What, what you're looking at each yeah. other like, are we still roommates? Are you moving out? Did someone know <laughs> yeah, something? what's going yeah, on? We were, I guess it was two and a half years ago that this all started. But the, so the Herald story, the one you see in the series was very much like a campfire story. Just like, just the ghost story you tell around the campfire. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's this like, it's in the show as well, but there's my papa's chest. And I realized that we had the 1934 police reports in that chest. And as soon as you read that, like Harold's case becomes so much more real and the world of like what was happening at the time is just vivid and it's engaging. Uh, and there's a lot of holes. It's just like, it's a true crime. As you read the police reports, you're like, oh, well, why didn't they check this person's alibi or do that kind of stuff? So I showed it to Jackson and we were like, it was our peak of true crime binging and consuming content. So mm -hmm. we just started getting our, getting our uh, creative brains going on how we could turn this into a, a true crime. So, well, it's definitely a true crime. But Mike Milton, you're a heaven, right? So this is your family's story of your great, great uncle who walked out into the woods from his cabin and disappeared. He was leading like a Walden life, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. So it's my great, great uncle. And okay. uh, he, yeah, it's 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 a base, like most of the, the subjects in the, the documentary are 
just extended family. So aunts, great aunts, uncles, moms, grandmas, everybody. Everybody got a slice, except for my brother. I cut him. You cut him? <laughs> yeah, he's too strong and cool. I just don't like him enough, you know? Oh, that's good. Okay. And and uh, you guys had done a show previously together, right? Trophy Husbands? Yeah, that was... Um... An amalgamation of all of our sketch videos that got picked up and put on Amazon Prime, which was awesome. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw it really, but it was cool <laughs> to say we were on Amazon Prime. And I think, yeah, we, it was just videos we've been making since we met at Second City over the mm -hmm. years. Uh, we just compiled them into, I don't know how many episodes, I forget. but uh, And then it lived there for a while, which was really cool. It's We're just really proud of the sketches and stuff. So it was awesome to get them out there a little bit. Right. So you guys have a, a major history together and you've been so living together, working together. You decide to do this. Now, you, you get the chest, your, your papa's chest. It's at your place in Toronto where you guys live. Is that where you had it? It was the most anxiety inducing process <laughs> because it, there's only one copy of the chest. So oh. it's like we had to scan everything for the show, right? Like all the pictures and everything. So there was a lot of trust involved in the whole process because he would like call and he, he, he's not a like confronting guy but he's like just checking in on my chest uh, just making sure my chest is okay and and these I, are old pages like they're falling <laughs> apart in your hand like it's a delicate process yeah yeah it was you but can now, see like, Go ahead. yeah yeah the, the, now the good thing is we have it all digitized so i think we did it like we did do him a favor um right. uh, but he did us a huge favor because <laughs> right. there's no show without this period exactly yeah Right. So, so you guys obviously have all, uh, Jackson, you have all this uh, video equipment already. Is that how this went? So you're like, we can well, just go up there. Tell me more, what happened. I mean, more or less, we uh, had a meeting at a production company, Muse, uh, that, you know, saw our sketches and just wanted to talk about stuff. And they had, an, they said in the meeting, they're like, well, something we we're really looking into is uh, something that's true crime, but comedy. Because American Vandal was really big at the time. Yes. And so we're like, well, we have a, tr a real true crime that's real and we are comedians. So that's kind of the angle we're taking. And so they bit enough to pay for a sizzle reel for us. We went up to Minden and filmed like a four minute proof of concept of the show, which was much uh, goofier than the one we actually made. You know, it was really Mike and I sort of grasping at straws of what we thought might be funny or what we thought might uh, come across as a good part of the mystery. And once that was made and edited, edited, um, and we took it out. It became clear that people were interested, and that led us to just really dig our heels in on the mystery itself because mm -hmm. we knew the comedy would come. So we're just like, let's make sure we have an A plus mystery, and then this show could actually be a thing. So I just add, just to add Please. on to that the uh, so before like the the ironic thing is when we partnered with Funny or Die, mm -hmm. and we got uh, Tony and Dan, the creators of American Vandal, as executive producers. Their whole thing was like pulling the comedy back. They're like mystery first, mystery first, which is uh, we we all kind of agreed there. But I just remember the beginning, the first sizzle we showed them has like Jackson, like with scuba gear on in his like boxers, yelling Harold in the water. It was like so far from what the show has become, but it's so funny to me. But isn't that an interesting creative journey? It's like where you start out, especially when you get to this level of professionalism. You're dealing with studios and muse. It, and then you end up being like, okay, we're going to find this within doing this. And that's what you really did. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize when I was watching it that it was the American Vandal guys. And the entire yeah. time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, 
nonstop about my, a dear friend of mine, Caleb Worthy, who's in American Vandal, and he lives kind of somewhere near in Canada by over there. Like, is, that's right? is, he, is he Alex? Uh, what's his, what's that guy's last name? What, uh, oh, the character. Yeah, Tromboli. Oh. Is he Tromboli? Alex Trumbull, Trumbull. Yeah, he's the redhead. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, Tromboli. Yeah, yeah. He's the like, yeah. best character in season one. Yeah, that's well, amazing. He, He's genius, but but the, you're so I kept thinking about it. And I'm like, and then I find out it's the American Vandal guys. So you start this out, and you do I, I do see it. You started out a little bit on a comedic edge, and what I watched is both of you kind of get enveloped by this love that's within the Heaven family, you know, and and this real kind of bond and loyalty. And then you started to really give a shit. Like, is yeah. that kind of uh, like what happened? Completely true to life, like. We knew that we had maybe four episodes planned before we went up. Like, we're going to look into these theories. And at the end of the day, it's an 87-year-old mystery. So if this doesn't lead anywhere, we'll figure the rest out. But pretty, like, we reached a point where stuff was moving forward. We were actually making progress on stuff we weren't sure we were going to. And that just lit a fire where, you're right, we turned it up from to a 10. We're like, oh, if anyone's going to solve it, it's going to be us. And it's going to be right now. So let's go. And just like go the our director Tim Johnson, who mm-hmm. a lot of credit to him because he helped pull us back and push us when we needed to. Uh, but he, I, I just remember as like everyone's dream is to make their own true crime, maybe. And I remember all these things happening, like people in town getting mad at us, and all that stuff was just like we were kind of like, what the heck is going on? Does this happen in every true crime? And they just don't show it. <laughs> so we were like, let's film it all. It's like, let's just be honest about the process. Uh, well, that's yeah. kind of what, you know, I want to say it's endearing, but it also gave me a little cringe factor because like the town was not necessarily, like you think, okay, it's a small town. Maybe they're going to rally behind this. And people were kind of like, fuck you. We're not into this. <laughs> I mean, I go ahead. Yeah, Jackson. I think, uh, you know, when you start throwing out names and possibility of people being involved and those people aren't around to defend themselves. It, it gets people's backup. And that's something we learned along the way. Cause we were just head down. How are we going to solve this at whatever cost it takes? The answer is the most important thing. But when you put the, you know, take a look around, you get the perspective of, Oh, this is affecting people. And that's something that like Mike said, I don't think a lot of true crimes will let you in on. So yeah. it's something we wanted to do. You got to tell me though, off camera though, did anybody take a swing at you? No swings. No, it was a very, uh, small towns love to talk. It's more, they're whispering behind your back. No one's actually (laughs) confronting you face to face, but, uh, they're all nice to you in person, in person. And then behind the back, maybe a Facebook post, who knows, but (laughs) we can handle it. We can definitely handle it. I can't handle it. I'm a (laughs) wuss. I'm a wuss. It got into your skin, Mike, a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. Just because it's my family in Minden, uh-huh. so I was like, I was less worried about Jackson and I. I was like, Jackson can defend me, uh, <laughs> but I was, I was more like worried that they were going to be upset with like the family. And I was like, they didn't do anything. Like it was all us being investigative, poking right. our noses where we shouldn't. So I made it clear at the end of the documentary, as you kind of saw. Yes. Uh, and so far, good reception. Good reception well, in the town. Well, yeah. I thought you handled it with a lot of class. I mean, you know, the way you handled the entire McCracken thing in the arc, and that's all I'll say. But I mean. Come on, that name, McCracken? I mean, like when we were pitching the show, that's exactly it. It was like, we don't know if they're villains or not, but that name sure does have a dramatic effect, you know? Yeah, I mean, the Heaven McCracken. McCracken. Yeah, Heaven McCracken feud. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what I wanted to ask you though does does your great great uncle now does your family still own all that land that he had originally bought for fifteen hundred dollars or whatever? Yeah. So, not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so that was one of the things. Even now, after the show's come out, a lot of people are like, "You should have looked more into this theory." Uh, about, <laughs> like, I think you know the theory I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, the the land. He, it did get sold off to cottagers, but the money did go back to the Heaven family. Okay. Uh, so it kind of checks out, but there's it's not like nobody... There's only a couple of plots of land that my family still uh, kind of are are there. Are there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, half, that, right? Some of it got sold, some of it's still in the family, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> what he said. Right. Yeah. So here was one thing. Is the original cabin, is that still in the family? That's the one, right? Yeah, so the one he disappeared from called Cedar Glen, right. it's been it's still in the family. It's exactly where it was. It's been renovated a bit, uh, and then kind of as you saw in the documentary, the my uncle Paul still lives at Glenside, which yeah. is like he disappeared halfway through finishing that cabin, which is where he was supposed to live. Uh, and then there's a really cool scene in the documentary where the, 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 the like types of logs. Harold was very specific on like how he squared the logs off, so he like mm-hmm. basically goes to the top and he's like, "This is where he disappeared." And like this is where they started to finish the cabin uh, once he was gone, which I was very taken back by. It was cool. Well, it's not the only time you guys used the logs there because you also used it when you were comparing those two pictures of his friend from high school and him, right? Yes. Yeah. That a lot of cabin talk. I mean, <laughs> you do a you do a documentary up north, the word cabin's going to come up ten to fifteen times a conversation. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was strange to like see ourselves analyzing pieces of wood and the way a door hangs and being like, is this the same place? Yeah. So there's a lot of like those minute details. You just want to make sure you're getting right. Well, that theory, right? So I think we can talk. How do you guys feel about just mentioning some of the theories without talking about where they go to? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we start with a suicide theory. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm not saying which one's right. I'm not saying anything because the joy of watching the show is getting to episode eight. Right. So the, but the suicide theory immediately, I'm like, that didn't happen. No one's burying their own body. That's my opinion. Right yep. now, maybe you found different, but I, I thought immediately it didn't happen. But when you got to the secret lover mm-hmm. theory, that's yeah. the one that I'm still stuck in my head on. That's the one that I can't stop thinking about. And it, I think you brought up something very important. Did you know going into it that being gay was illegal back then in that time? Absolutely not. I mean, it's just, it seems so mortifying. crazy to think about, right? Yeah, it's mortifying. But yeah, it's absolutely mortifying. And the idea, what was not fun, but what led to that theory was being able to recontextualize some of the stuff we already knew under the uh, lens of Harold just being paranoid. Yes. Due, like not just paranoid through mental illness, but paranoid due to an event that happened and, and you know, a reason, the motivation that people might've been picking on him for real. It, um, it adds a whole new lens to the, the series and allowed us to fit other theories underneath that motivation. And I thought it was pretty powerful stuff. And it was like, what was interesting, I know for Mike was taking that theory to the family and seeing how they would react. And it was nothing but, you know, love, Love, yeah. I, I mean, not to be real, I loved how they reacted. It yeah. was just so beautiful. And it really made you see that they're, you know, the progression, you know, from then just till now. Uh, th- by the way, this road worker thing, mm-hmm. right? I'm still not lost on that. But I, so just tell me a little bit. I'm sure there's a deeper dive than we even got to see, right? I'm kind of fascinated with all these camps. Can you just tell me a little about this? Yeah, it's, uh, 
It, that was the probably the most popular theory among my family. Mm-hmm. I think because it didn't point the finger, it like just pointed the finger towards a bigger, bigger group of people. Right. Uh, so when we started to look into it, the first thing we had to do was actually make sense of it. Like, okay, this is a theory. Does it actually check out? Uh, and because it was the Great Depression, there was like there was work camps, and people would be sent to these work camps just to work, basically because they needed a job and the roads needed to be built. And it was government was just making work so they could pay people to get out of the depression. uh, So, yeah, uh, these workers, uh, as we kind of explore, did become one within the community. And they they, some stuff that we didn't include, they would have like ice hockey matches. If you go back far enough, there was like fight clubs. That was like if you yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was like if you if you go. Yeah, I know. It was we had a whole fight club theory that we didn't get into and we can't oh, get into. You can't? Oh, it's so cool. It was just like it was the craziest that we had someone call our hotline and was like, hey, he got he got uh killed in a bare knuckle brawl at the Dominion Hotel. Uh and it just didn't check out. He said it happened in the fifties. It was just a complete it was a great call to listen to, but it yeah. didn't check out. By a guy uh, named Hammerhead. It was great. <laughs> Okay, well, that, it's funny because that was my next question was, what was some of the craziest calls you got? Because you put up that hotline, you put up that three billboards outside of Ebbing, Montana, yeah. or Missouri, or whatever it is. You know, it's like you hit all these amazing beats, but you had to get some crazy calls, right? There's just, yeah. Um, I think the best theories are the happier ones. Like, I think he just ran away to California. People uh-huh. who just don't want to even... They don't know the details. They just heard a man disappeared and they're like, I bet he met a woman and he ran off and he's living life wonderfully. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I kind of hope so too, but it does not look like that. So. Probably not. Yeah. We, we got a lot of, a uh, couple psychic calls, which we, we did talk to a psychic, but it ended up getting cut from the show because it was that balance of true crime versus comedy. And the psychic just didn't feel as Real? like, yeah, it, it was like, there's some funny stuff where the psychic was channeling Harold and Harold kept calling me soft and like I didn't know under no hate <laughs> nature the same way that he did. And uh it was bizarre. Mean? Yeah, it was so, it's really mean. I know I'm <laughs> like Harold, I'm doing, I'm doing so much for you. You know how much yeah. you invested in this project and you're calling me soft? <laughs> yeah, like that seems just that seems personal from the medium. I feel like that did <laughs> yeah. not really happen. I think your uncle's a nice dude. Yeah, no, that's how we feel. We were like, she just like we just paid her to roast us. Yeah. She was just- <laughs> By the way, yeah, that's exactly right. You had to bring her out to pay her to do nothing, right? And then it doesn't even end up in the show. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I really feel like, and again, it's so hard for me to like. I'm I'm just tiptoeing around these these different things. But what was your favorite theory? Interesting. Yeah, I love the road worker theory. The idea that. Um, he could be underneath a highway and just paved over top of is so perfect mystery. It's such a like it's the perfect crime almost that yeah. that theory really and you know figuring out motivation, figuring out proximity, all these things that actually made it a much more feasible theory. So that's my favorite. Yeah, no, I uh, I tend to agree. I think the cool thing was like certain things like you talked about with when we explore Harold's sexuality is that's not even a theory. It's more of a motive. Like right. so, it adds on to the road worker theory. So a lot of things can stem from that initial theory. And the, when we did do some research on the road workers, like a lot of nice people, but at the same time, a couple bad eggs, you know? So. <laughs> well, it was interesting. I mean, didn't you find something out about criminals or something being put? Like, what was the... Yeah, it was basically, rather than put them in jail, sentence them to go work on the road camps uh, as punishment, basically. <laughs> so you're just inviting people that are known criminals 
to hang out with people that are probably not known criminals. I don't know. It just felt like a, a really messed up way to sort of deal with criminals. Just get them out of our hair. They'll go build a road kind of thing. Well, have you ever seen it? I don't know that they do this anymore, but back in the back in the olden times, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you got arrested for something, they'd just say, you can go to jail or you could go to war. Like they yeah. just send oh. them overseas to go fight yeah. for you. And it's like, do you really want that dude over there <laughs> <laughs> fighting for you? I mean, I get it, but like, it seems unless you're part of the A team and you, uh, or, or the suicide squad where you could be controlled, like just throwing criminals over and sending them to war. doesn't seem like a, like a solution. No, not at all. sending them to the road crew definitely doesn't seem like a solution, especially around that nice, quiet town. <laughs> picture for some reason, that picture like holes with Shia LaBeouf and like that, that whole, like they just were digging holes for treasure. <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of like what was going on in Minden at the time, except not at all. Not at all. No, we read a couple articles about, <laughs> Road camp members like stealing a car and driving into town and driving home drunk. Just like there was more than enough information about these guys. Some of them were definitely ne'er do well. Some of them were criminals. And then some people in the town had nothing but good words to say about them. So it was probably all of the above. Did you say ne'er do well? I yeah. know. I, I noticed that too. Ne'er do well. <laughs> That's a great word. That's it really great. is. It's one word too for anyone interested. <laughs> yeah. so, okay. It's uh, a great so, word. You, Jackson, I got to tell you, you, threw me a little there. The ne'er do wells. <laughs> 1930s thinking, language sneaking back in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not terrible. You know, I, I wanted to bring up for a second because is it is it actually true that that company with the with the underground sonar uh, equipment, which is like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment, and they did they really do that for free to help out? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, what's the name it, of that company? So it's multi-view technology, like uh, scanning and something, something. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, multi-view is their big name, but they <laughs> were connected with us through an actual charity called Please Bring Me Home. And they specialize <laughs> in cold cases of like solving old family cold cases. And we told them our, our cold case and what we wanted to do and how it wasn't as important as I'm sure like some like other ones that they're working on, but here's what we're looking after. And then they connected us with them and it was such a huge get. Uh, they were they were so nice. <laughs> they were so it, it's tremendous. What's the name of that charity again? Please uh, bring me home. Yeah, dot com. I think that is that is absolutely lovely because I, I knew I, I felt like there was something, and I felt like those guys at Multiview were so nice, and and they came out, and I was like, are they getting paid? And you know, that's a cynical bastard in me. I'm like, yeah. it's just they're acting like no. So they did it for free through this. Please bring me home charity. Yeah, I yeah. mean, absolutely. They like we got their you know logo on the show and stuff, but I don't think that's what they were in it for at all. They were very much just trying to help out. It was awesome. So let me ask you this: What was it like? Had you ever worked with the American Vandal guys before, or was this your first time? This was our first time. Yeah, it was and, a dream come true. Honestly, we, we love that, that show. Time. Yeah, it was a oh, total too. inspiration, and yeah, we got to pitch them basically over the phone or over Zoom, and then. You know, we never thought anything would come of it, but two or three weeks later, we found out they were in and then flew down to L.A., met them in person. And they've been great mentors, nice guys, and honestly, just super good collaborators on the show, too. It couldn't have worked out much better. Which is amazing. So, you know, as you're doing this, you're picking up momentum. This is starting to really feel like, oh, shit, this is like a TV show. Like, this is happening, right? Yeah. I mean, so at what point now you finish this, you don't have Paramount Plus on board at this point. You don't know where it's getting distributed or do you? Yeah, we, we so we we actually had to do all the preliminary uh, like pitching, developing, like researching of the case to build out our pitch script. So we actually had 
Tony and Dan on board before we sold the show. And they were in the pitch rooms with us. So it was almost like the the networks would look at us and be like, we have no idea who you are, but we loved American Vandal. Oh, we loved American Vandal. And it was, there was such an asset in the actual pitch rooms because people, obviously, if they were hooked on the mystery, they were like, well, how can these guys execute it? Oh, they have help here. Um, yeah. So yeah, we pitched before we shot pretty much anything. It was just a ton of research coming in, you know, guns a-blazing, and luckily Paramount Plus was into it. Right. So then they decide, okay, we're going to buy the show. Do you remember where you were when you get that call? Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. That's a good one, right? Tell yeah, us. Yeah, that was I was, uh, it's a big day. Uh, totally. I was waiting tables. and um, Where were you waiting tables, Jackson? It's called Cantina Mercado. It's uh, Young and King here in Toronto. Okay. Hopefully still open. Um, Hopefully. Anyway, we're wait- I'm waiting tables. We get a call from our producer, Courtney Dobbins, and she she knows, and she's like, "All right, let's go for a drink. I'll tell you like what I know." And, and she's I, kept, for just to give some context. She's kept us in the dark for like weeks. We're like, "Have you heard anything from CBS? Have you heard anything from CBS?" And the, she was like, "Nothing to tell you. Nothing to tell you." And she knew <laughs> they were just working out the deal in the background. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mike and Courtney come to my restaurant while I'm working, sit in my section, and I'm like half serving them, half waiting for them to tell me what's going on. And eventually she just told us that CBS bought it and we had a little freak out in the, on the floor there and hugged. And, uh, uh then I had to finish a three hour shift. So it was, weird. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. Did you throw down your like checkbook? Like I quit. <laughs> I wish I thought about it, but I, I probably worked there for another month or two when we're, until the contracts got finished. So I right. couldn't quit work quite yet. Like until the ink dries, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seemed too good to be true. So why, why chance it? Listen, I, I mean, it, it, sometimes these things are, it's just that easy, right? You, you hit upon something and everyone who you want to be involved ends up involved and you go down there and you're like, Oh wow, we got CBS Paramount plus we got the guys from American Vandal. We got all these camera equipment and all these people. I mean, was it, uh, you know, as far as being exec producers and I, I'm, I'm going to guess like creators, right? Yes. Right. I mean, so how much responsibility fell on you guys in, you know, episode to episode in production, et cetera. Basically our jobs were kind of to map out the story and, you know, with unscripted, you can plan as much as you can until you can't. So we basically, even we had to have a little bit of a writer's room to be like, okay, if we, if we don't get any farther in the case with stuff we have now, what could we make? Like, what would the eight episodes look like? So we had to like, yeah, we, yeah, we had to map out like a whole thing of like, okay, we, we have this cliffhanger, we have this, we have this, but uh, this is, we knew the story was going to change and obviously it did mm. hugely in the back half EPs and stuff. Once we were actually filming, Tim Johns, our director did a great job of like handling everything behind the scenes. And we were much more like, we need to hit these points when we're talking, we need to make sure we get this across for the audience. And we, we had a writer's brain going, uh, most of the time, right. uh, as well as just trying to be friends on camera and just trying to, uh, is that hard? Be- I mean, you know, <laughs> when you get crazy drunk and then you have to wake walk up eight miles. <laughs> about walk eight miles in the snow. Oh yeah, exactly. It was about six miles, right? It was 10 kilometers. Six you walked miles, six yeah, miles. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Six miles in the snow after you really drank. I mean, you guys weren't faking being drunk. No. Or if you were, you're fantastic acting, but you guys both seem pretty fucking hammered. Yeah, for real. And yeah. like Mike said, we were back at work at seven the next morning. So it was not bad <laughs> scheduling on our part for sure, but. <laughs> It turned out fine on camera, so we're happy. No, everything turned out fine. Let me ask you this. Was there ever moments where you guys were at each other? 
Mike and I? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, we're sharing a room for five months almost, you know, like, like anybody does, but. I think, we, yeah, I actually think we did pretty good. Like Jackson especially was very respectful of like the family and stuff. That was what I was most worried about of like letting this. And we had a crew of like 12 to 13. It wasn't your normal documentary crew of like two people. It was like, it was a big, bigger crew and. I was just so worried we would go in and be like, we need to move this living room, this couch here and everything. And Jackson did a great job of like just small talk and keeping people distracted with everything that's going on. So We never fought. I think we just shared each other's stress a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Which exactly, is, yeah. you know, when you're making a true crime documentary, there's a lot of stress. So there's tension for sure. I imagine, I have to say that, that the reason I asked that, I might just said, fuck it, I'm leaving. <laughs> You know what? This is done. We're going to ask me. So want to make sure we don't die on you. Sorry. Ask me that question. I'm out now. Jackson's leaving. <laughs> They're all just like we're gone. No, no, sorry about that. We're low no, battery. I'm, I'm just messing with you. We're back. We're back. Okay. So, so, but I did ask that question because it really does seem like you maintained a rather uh, even keel between each other the whole time. Like it felt like a real, you know, friendship. But nothing felt forced. And Great. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it didn't. I have to tell you. Um, I wanted to ask you this. What was the moment for each of you? So Jackson, tell me first and then Mike, tell me, because I want to hear outside the family and inside the family. What was the moment where you really went from comedy to we want to solve this? It's a good question. We did an interview with Mike's grandpa, Ted, and just I'd heard it, you know, heard the story through Mike's voice and We'd spoke about it, but, you know, hearing it from him, somebody who's one generation removed and like he's a filmmaker himself. So he knows how to tell a story and just, you know, interacting with him. And it felt real. You know, it felt like because he asked us, he's like, you're going to take this seriously. Right. And I was a little caught off guard because, of course, we were. But he doesn't know that he's never met me. I had to I know I felt like I had something to prove. And from that moment on, it was kind of just like comedy is never going to be the goal. Comedy will come when it comes. We're going to solve this thing as best we can. So I was meeting his grandpa. What about for you, Mike? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. And I think both of us had this problem was when we got to, um, we actually had this weird cockiness of the, like, we thought we could solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really, we really kept our heads down. We're like, we need to solve this. We need to do whatever it takes. So we came in hot to the town and all that. Uh, but I think, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, small towns love to talk. So when we got up there, I was like, and we had our like first canoe segment, which is the local radio we go on. I was yeah. like, oh, people are talking about it. Like everybody has seen us in the paper. Someone's going to know something. Like some, I feel like someone had just, has the same way Harold's story has been passed down in our family. I was like, there's a family out there that's like passing down the truth. And bits and pieces of that come out in the documentary, which was so cool that other families were talking about it and other families had their theories as well. So that was really the moment for you when you started realizing that? Yeah, I think it was like Canoe FM. And what when people were like, I saw you in the paper, or I think the the Highlander and all the, the, the local media there, they shared on Facebook and it got shared like 80 times. And it's like, oh, oh a small town, like this is a big thing happening in a small town. They, they like, they, they're excited about it. So I think that excitement was one of the moments where I was like, okay, we, we have could, something to live up to now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could we could do this. We could do. Yeah, it started to take on some gravitas. Like it was like, oh, you have a you, you have a responsibility here. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, and you absolutely fulfilled it. So before I let you go, I'm going to ask you this last question, which all filmmakers hate. But now that you've got this really successful, really wonderful series, what are you thinking about next? 
you don't have another family mystery, but you guys are filmmakers. <laughs> and you know, but I'm serious. Like, what, what are you thinking about next? Cause I'm sure that you're being asked this a lot. Yeah, no, it's a great question. We're, uh, we're basically, we only locked episode eight, like three weeks ago. So we, our heads were down, uh, trying to get this done in time. And now that uh, like the show's out and it's being a uh, good reception so far, uh, that is also dependent. Like there could always be Mike and Jackson solve this next mystery or Mike and Jackson find treasure. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's like, there's this niche little genre that we've found within mm -hmm. the true crime genre uh, that we want to explore a little more, but as well, we're just waiting to see how this does. And it's exciting for us to know that you've seen it and you actually liked it. That's I loved it. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I, I didn't like it. I loved it. I, I was, it started out, I, I was saying to Jason, it started out where I was watching it. And I was like, this is good. I'm into this. Like, you know, and then I was like, all right, I got to watch the next episode. And then I was like, I want to, I, I need to watch the next episode. I'm like, what the fuck's going to happen here? I'm like, is this guy, you know, buried under the bump? Is this like, you know, is I, you know, listen, is he buried under the road? You know, there was, you know, from yep. what we saw with that sonar, right? There is a possibility. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, there's, I don't think we'll tackle Harold's mystery again, but, no. but what is cool about it is that there are some, un, some questions left unanswered and, you know, his little cousin Bryce at the end says that maybe he'll take it on and solve it. So <laughs> that's fun for us too, is sort of watching the family embrace it all over again. It really is. Guys, I, I honestly can't thank you enough for being here. I can't thank you enough for sharing your family and all of this stuff with all of us because um, it, it's not just a true crime thing. It's really a lot to do with, you know, love and family and, and kind of loyalty and uniting. So I'm just thrilled. And, and thank you so much. So for heaven's sake, right, on yep. Paramount Plus, all eight yep. episodes available now to download. Oh, Mike, Jackson, thank you guys for being here. Thank you, so, Thank much. you so much. Thank you, Jason. That was, that was lovely. Appreciate all the questions. <laughs> oh, it's our pleasure. I do my best. I do my best. I, was, I just really enjoy listening. Thank you guys so much. Right. Take Thank care. Thank you, guys. Thank Have you a great one. Best to your family. Yeah, oh, awesome. Jackson Rowe, they're Mike Milden. Those guys are cool. They're so nice. Yeah. I mean, but it, that's what comes across in the show, too. They're just, they're, they're like mentions. They're nice people. Yep. And their family is so nice. The heavens are, you know, they're not, you know, the Mildens, everybody in the family, his mom, everyone's so sweet and so cool. The, the uncle's like, I don't know if he's a scientist or something. And he's, you know, he's very cool. <laughs> it's just, it's a real interesting journey. It's a, it's, it's different than every one of these other, you know, true TCS, I'll call it. TCS. Yeah, true, true crime. Crimes. True crime stories. Stories. Okay. TCS. Yeah, oh, that's TCS. True crime stories. I got He's it. Making it up. That's what I doing. love it. You know what I notice is notice? I need to get a haircut. Look at look at how bald I am underneath that hair. Like like it just kind of pokes up over my thing. There's a mystery. Where did my hair go, Cliff Dorfman? <laughs> Listen, Listen, it's just time to get groomed again. That's all. It is. It is time to get groomed again, which is part of the reason I love stereo so much. Yeah. Um, because you don't have to be. Because they could just see an avatar version of me. And I love it. If you guys get a chance, you should check us out. We do stereo stuff. In fact, uh, I think Cliff Dorfman might be doing a little true crime um, conversation with my wife here pretty soon, Mrs. Smitty, Mrs. Smitty. on stereo, talking can't a little wait. bit about uh, the Mormon uh, yeah. bombing show. I would love uh, that. I can't wait. She just has to set it up and let's get it scheduled. Because yeah, I, I just want to keep telling her. She's like, "Well, I don't know how to." She's so funny. I love her. She Tell sets date, up I'll all these shows it. with the middle. She's got like. She's doing, she's, she's got, she's killing it over there. And then she, I asked her, like, did you set up with Cliff? Like, well, I didn't know if I could. 
I was like, just ask him. But yes, it's you so can. Exciting. You guys, Let's do, say you guys have some of the. You guys have some of the best talks together. I, um, I love talking to your wife. I really do. And we get along so well. And, and we're very like-minded, unlike you yeah, and I. Yeah. Fucking monster. <laughs> um, no, but you guys do some great true crime stuff over there. Um, you know, on top of all the other different things that we do. We do a special version. Yeah. You, um, you know, I have my Saturday night shows where we just talk about random topics. Uh, the the Kyle Ayers and I do the 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 movie stuff. You and you you and Keith talk about sequels. There's so many things going on. It's so it's so much fun. Um, I just want to remind everybody to get over there and uh, and check it out uh, if you haven't been. But Friday we're gonna do our show. I think we're gonna probably end up doing it at four o'clock this week. But I'll we'll, we'll get you the the, the time. Oh, we're doing it four this week. That's awesome. Yeah. We got Louis Anderson over there. I mean, it's just people keep coming. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I honestly, and I, I just, there's something about it. And I think it might be the call-in feature and being able to interact with oh. our stuck at homies and then the stereo streets, as we like oh. to call them, yeah. that, that gives us just a different insight as to what's going on out there. And I, I, I truly, um, and, and there's almost no trolls. I mean, you get a couple of people here and there, but like mostly everybody's serious, nice, cool, funny, and into yeah. it. They want to talk about it or they want to talk about, um, their farts, which is yeah. fine. Uh, I, I don't consider far, farts. fart conversations trolls. Uh, but yeah, if you guys haven't been over there, please check it out. We uh, we we doing shows over there all the time. Um, and then other thing I wanted to bring up um, is that if I'm gonna get if I'm gonna walk out of the house and never come back, uh, you better believe that I will be wearing seven pairs of meundies, right? Like I will be. I was wondering your lead in. That was good. Um, I will be layering the meundies. I'll put a pair of meundies on. I'll pair put a pair of meundie pants on. I'll put another pair of MeUndies on over that. I'll then put a MeUndie me onesie over all of that. And then I'll do the same thing again several times until I look like the Michelin man, but in beautiful In MeUndies? In MeUndies. I just want to, like that kid in um, A Christmas Story when he tries to go outside, his mom sends him out there and he's just so covered in snow clothes that he can't put his arms down and just starts crying. That'll be me, except I won't be crying. I'll just be soft. And he'll be like, Jason, what are you doing right now? You're getting ready to leave? And it's like, no, I'm taking a nap. I just can't move. I'm so soft. I just feel comfy in my own, in my own clothes. And then I will go on my walkabout and then you, maybe you'll see me again. Maybe you won't, but it depends on how soft I will be and for how long I will be soft. And if I put that much me undies on, I have a feeling I'll be soft forever. And you will also have a pair of me undies soaking in the cold wash basin as Mr. Heaven did as well as your alternate pair for when you come back. Cause you're planning on coming back. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm just going to take, I, I would like to tell you that I'm just going to go where the undies take me. I can't make any promises. Um, <laughs> By the way, did you see this new uh, pattern? The nuggets say yes to nuggets. Nugs. Yeah. Nugs, yeah. The nugs one. I love these ones. Um, I don't know those two shapes. I haven't ever had chicken nuggets in those shapes. No, never, before. never. So um, I'm you've a had chicken nuggets in every shape. I, well, chicken nuggets only come in like six shapes. You know that, right? Come on. What do you mean? Like it's Shakespeare with stories? What are you talking about? Oh, McNuggets. Yeah. McNuggets. Not all nuggets, but McNuggets. Oh, McNuggets. Yeah. There's only like the one with the tailbone, the round, completely round one, right? There's like, I thought there were probably only three. There's Go. The ball and the bell, the boot and the ball. There's four. This is the thing. Ball, the boot, the bell. See, and, neither, and these aren't any of those. So it does annoy me that these are generic nugs. I would never. I don't know that I put my lips on generic nugs, but these ones are, these ones maybe, I don't know. They're, they're, there's something interesting about them. Um, yeah, they, they almost look like planter peanuts, dudes. They're absolutely doing it. <laughs> if you don't want to have to explain the birds and the bees or the chicken nugs to your kids, these might not be the pair for you. There's no nugget penis or anything, but they are definitely, no. um, they're definitely, grooving. They're definitely grooving to their own, their own beat right now. Joy of sex with chicken nuggets. 
With chicken nuggets. Way, so also you can get the membership, $19.99 a month. It's free shipping. And if you don't like it, just tell them. They'll send you your money back. I mean, again, it, it never happens. It's happened three times, I think. But they will. They yeah, Keep well, the underwear. Well, well, they'll well. give you your money back. They'll tell you, have a nice life. Say, and enjoy your nuts. And then they'll, and they'll let you order more nuts, underpants. It's not like they quit on the underpants. No, no, no. They won't. They'll let you come back. They're not going to ban you for life. So it's, <laughs> it's meundies.com. Offer code STUCK. You get 15% off. 15% off. Stuck at home. All right, right. It's uh, Just stuck. code STUCK. At meandies.com. I do love them. I'm wearing them now. Sue me. Sue you. Wait, yeah, Speaking no, I am. Of- I just looked down and wearing the loungewear. Okay, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, so we can get into a little news, talk a little content today. Let's do it. Um, I think the big thing, did you end up watching your uh, Princess and Prince? I did. Okay. I did. I am, I mean, listen, I'm only watching that narrative, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm mortified. I'm mortified. So- Go on. You know, without getting into all the other specifics about it, because there's there's a lot to it. The the thing, the fallout that I've found the most interesting is around Pierce Morgan, who's having an absolute fit about all this stuff. Yeah, he got bumped, right? He got canceled. Well, no, he walked out of a taping. Of is that the, what happened after he? Was going off on her or something? He was going off on her. Well, he was. He goes off on her all the time. He's he hates a lot. her. He doesn't like her. Well, and there uh, you can. There's actually something from 2018. We get a little bit of fun gossip here. But, Let's do it. But Pierce Morgan tells a story in on in 2018 that I listened to yesterday about how he was friends with all the people from Suits and he was talking to them and they were DMing each other. And one day she caught uh, Megan texts DMs him and says, "Hey, I'm going to be in the UK. You want to hang out?" They go out um, for dinner to his local pub. He's already at his pub. Right. He's Irish or Scottish or whatever. And. Uh, they go and they have their their pub food and they hang out and he falls like he he really likes her after and they get drunk and hang out together she goes home from the pub nothing happens the next day she goes Shocker. out and meets prince harry huh. and so he tells a story about how she ghosted him he has this story locked and loaded about how uh they were going to be dating at one point and then he just she just kind of vanished and fell in love with this prince that's his story right but everything kind of comes back from that so she talks he talks a lot of shit about her but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of uh sour grapes in there like he He's tells a dude that story scorned. right but what happened was on um good morning britain uh, and before you was, say that can i just say one thing i don't believe for one second she was ever gonna date piers morgan not for either. one fucking I moment i don't I mean, this, this woman married the prince of england right. <laughs> she's not dating piers morgan okay please continue so um, what happened with that whole thing was they were talking about it and there was a different uh, anchor talking about how all this shit um, and talking about the problems and actually saying, and Pierce, uh, uh, he, the the presenter was, his name is Alex Bursford. I don't know him. I'm, I've only seen him this, but he ca- basically got called out and he called out Pierce by name saying how many mean things. So he just goes, that's it. I'm out of here. And he walks out. Pierce Morgan did. Yeah. Out of the taping in the middle of the taping. Um, you know, and it turns out there's been over 41,000 complaints for, to ITV. Yeah. ITV, right. ITV, which was giving him the option of quitting, apologizing or getting fired. Um, so he, that's why he quit. He quit because he was getting picked on by everybody because nobody, he doesn't like being called out. He's so mean. He's, he's one of those pick on whoever he wants, but he doesn't want to be picked on. on. Right. He doesn't want to be called out for his bullshit. He never has. 
Right. So, so basically, I mean, I don't even know after hearing the, 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 uh, you know, him being like overly aggressive and wanting to date her story. I don't even know how he can stand in the light at all and, and yell at her, you know, when you're like, Oh dude, you're just mad. You, you, you know, you got blown off and you didn't even get blown off. You just had a fantasy in your mind that you were going to date. She went out the next night and she met the Prince of England and, uh, she didn't, she hadn't thought of you before she met him. She was like, Oh, that was fun. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, the, what the hell? What are you thinking? Oh, I was just thinking, he he wrote this tweet. He said, on Monday, I said, I don't believe Meghan Markle in her Oprah interview. I've had to ref- time to reflect on this opinion. I still don't. If you did okay, freedom of speech is a hill. I'm happy to die on. Thanks all for the love and hate. I'm off to spend more time with my opinions. Probably in Mar-a-Lago with, with, uh, with what's-his-face. With, with Trump? Is he a Trump friend? No, he is. He's one of those guys. He's a Trump friend. Okay, so so I mean, had you seen? Have you watched the interview? Um, I've seen a little bit of it, um, and I've seen you know the the, the major pieces. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, what do you think I, of the major pieces? Well, I think that. Well, I mean, I think that the 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 whole part about not giving him the prince, changing the rules, um, basically talking about how what shade he's going to be, um, yeah. are the major pieces to me. Like this, just very overt racism. And this is her narrative. And, and you know, I mean, do I believe her? I, I would just find it incredibly difficult to not believe, you know, to believe that, that someone's going to make all that up and Prince Harry's going to stand by. You know, it's not like he's a weak dude. You know, this is a strong guy. Right. You know, as a, as a human, I mean, he, look what he did. You know how much money he gave up to do this? Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, they've never let any of these guys work because even the guys that have left before always get paid something. I'm sure he got a considerable amount of money, but like the royal family, there's, I, I asked about this yesterday. Even like mm-hmm. some of the, another person who kind of left the biz, they still gave him plenty of money because they don't want any, but they don't want any stories about uh, royalty getting real jobs. Right, right. Okay, so that's even no matter what they do or say, they don't want you working. No, that like would be if one of them the works, they all might have to. Shit, uh, not keeping it in the family is uh, lifting a finger. Right. That, <laughs> I mean, listen. You know, I think there's something to be said that you know there were all those um, uh, rumors about uh, Harry not being Charles's kid and being a, a, a part of an illicit affair between Diana and her bodyguard. Uh, or a security detail guy. I mean, but this is my thought about that. Whether or not that's true, which, you know, who am I to say? I have no fucking idea, right? But Charles agreed to raise him, right? Uh, And had he married someone who was not mixed race or black, they would not, I believe, be having the same conversation, that he's not going to be a prince to kid, he's not going to get a security detail. I mean, that was like, it was horrifying to me to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I I don't know who it is. They keep saying that it wasn't the Queen and it wasn't Prince Philip, but I can't. Well, then who and is the Queen's like? Then like, who gives a shit? Then who else is it? Prince Charles? Then he's yeah. the dick. But like, then this family's shitty because they just let everybody like I can control the racism as Queen. So <laughs> yeah. right. So if I can't let it go, I don't know Prince Charles. That, yeah, like then you're not a Queen. Right. If you can't stop, like. He's going to be a prince of it, blah, blah, blah. And the yeah, blackest it. prince of all time, and I don't care. Right. Like, that's yeah. fine. She can do that. Like, she can. Then I, then that's where I go. Like, then the prince, then she's just as culpable, you know, right. culpable in this situation than any of the, the other people. I agree. And, you know, I love little Archie. 
Yeah. As long as he keeps his black ass off my furniture. Right. You know? <laughs> right. But she has the ability and the power within the crown, within that monarchy, to say that that kid will be a prince. She can right. do that. And the fact that she hasn't means it's the queen. Who right. else is, you know, it doesn't matter who's saying it's no. She can right. say yes. And she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, still- we could probably end it on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, we can go on and talk about it, but I mean, I feel yeah. like oh, no. everything no, else is just, just conjecture. No, I, I think that I think that that's the that's the truth about it. And you can, you know, there's a lot of people that apologize for her, but um, and there's also a lot of stuff coming back on uh, Megan, which really shocks me. Everybody's um, always hated Megan. Like the press has not been kind to her since day one, right? Right. Well, the the part that shocks me is uh, the a lot of I told you so. It's like what you didn't know that this. You know, I've I've seen this from. Um, you know, different people, different groups of uh, people that might generally side with uh, with her, but also a little bit of shaming. Like, what you didn't, you didn't, you didn't think that the royal family was racist. Kind of your fault too. It was like, well, yeah, I guess. But at the same time, like, I don't know. When you're you don't come from royalty and you don't realize all that stuff, and you do, you know, you maybe you do a little research, maybe you don't. It does still feel like something like. I had no idea it was this kind of crazy. Like you might go, yeah, these white people, I'm used to all these racist white people, but like maybe not Royal levels of racism, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at like, well, yeah, being gay was also illegal in 1928 and it's not now, you know what I mean? Like, so you might go into it and say, yeah, okay, there's a history of racism there, but this is their son. This is their grandson. Like there's obviously there's been progression. And then you're like, wait, there hasn't. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but that's all that. Like, how could you not know? Like, shut the fuck up. Like, how could you not know? I mean, what is that going to do? Well, I know, but I'm going to, yeah, no, I hear you. I, I guess this is a backlash, but you know, everybody's got something to say, including yeah. us, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's I mean, right. That's not- right. I got one more piece of news cause we're running out of time. Give it. Um, but did you see that um, there was one for some people, one good reason to watch Tom and Jerry last week or the, in the last couple of days? No, I don't know about this. Tell me. So this happened on Monday. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk to it after cause it happened after so for a very, very limited time on Monday, if you turned on uh, Tom and Jerry at just the right instant, you would have seen up to the first hour of Zack Snyder's Justice League. They somehow... Is that true? No, I did read a tweet about that. Is that fucking true? I was real. So it leaked like on accident. Whoops. Somebody connected the Tom and Jerry button to the Justice League button. They pushed the button. <laughs> Justice League would come up. It was only up there for a few minutes or a few hours, but everything's streamed. So, like, when you have a stream, you have a buffer. So, depending on how fast their internet was would depend how much of that sh- movie got downloaded. Eventually, it would have just it just died because the stream was can- canceled. But, like, that's, that's kind of the thing that they have to do to prevent people from, like, you know, internet goes fast and it's slow and then fast. So, it buffers on, a, on the, your Apple TV or whatever. So, there's, like, some memory stored. So, so, for some people got to watch about an hour of this movie. Uh, uh, what was the response? I mean, it was three people probably that got to see any given amount of it um, and then could take pictures, but they were, they were also very, they were, they seemed happy with what they saw. Um, uh, but also they were going to watch Tom and Jerry. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, but so were you, you know what I mean? Like you watched it. So you would have been a perfect person to have seen it and give a, a right. comment, right? But You're I the perfect Tom, blend. I, yeah, I, I hate watched Tom and Jerry. I watched Tom and Jerry because if I'm going to get free movies, you better give me all my free goddamn movies, right? Like, if I'm at the fucking, like, I don't not eat everything that comes with my TV dinner, but you don't not give me my goddamn green beans. Right. Right. I'll throw them out if I want to. Yeah. 
<laughs> but they better be in there. Yeah, but um, but they did. They they said that there. That some people fast forwarded to the end, so there's some there's some end stuff out there. Some people just watch the beginning, so there's some beginning. I tried to stay away from all the spoilers because, from what I understand, it's a fairly you know obviously the first movie Joe Whedon's. Yeah, thank you, Joseph Whedon. Joey's version's like a little like barely two hours, um, or maybe just under two hours, but uh, Zach's is Zach's is a little over four. And there's like this whole other thing, and it ends on this really big uh, cliffhanger, and uh, and so like I've seen some of the stuff, and so I've been trying to. I mean, if I'm gonna give it a chance, I want to give it a full chance. Like surprise me, shock me, mm-hmm. um, you know, kiss me, kill me, whatever that U2 song is from Batman. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, so I don't know all of it, but there there was some people that said it was okay, it was good so far. Right. They're not they're not against it. They weren't just killing it. Okay, I mean, you know, I'm I'm very uh, interested to miss that. Me too. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like there's nothing there. But you did not like Tom and Jerry, just to be clear. No. no. What is this movie you told me about Pixie before we go? Oh, Pixie, yeah. Before we go, Pixie is an Irish movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a revenge out, thing. It's a uh, a little bit. It's about a woman named Pixie Hardy. Yeah, uh, she is the son of a gangster, um, the same guy that played the head gangster in uh, Gangs of London uh, that died, the the dad that died. Yeah. Um, and so two people, hit her her boyfriend and another dude starts out with them robbing uh, what, what you think are a bunch of uh, uh, Catholic priests for uh, a big bag of MDMA and a whole bunch of cash. Mm-hmm. And kind of starts there, and then you know they don't make it all the way through, and then Pixie and a couple of, and a couple other people get a hold of all this stash, and so they're trying to make a run for it and make some money. Um, so it's very violent. It's very much a uh, again. This is de- this is definitely in that like not in the guy Richie because of the stylistic stuff, but this is definitely the gangster, you know, snatch or you right. know, you know, the Irish version of a of a heist a gone wrong, heist gone wrong, very violent, funny. Uh, good, decent dialogue. Um, she is a she is a real treat. Olivia Cook. Um, she oh, was she's great. Sound she's of, great. Sound of Metal. Uh, Ready Player One. She's great. Um, and Alec Baldwin plays a like the like the head priest, so he plays a bad guy. And he's uh, good. Yeah, he's yeah he he, he does his best yeah, little Irish. Him. He's not like the main character by any means, but he's great. fun. Like it's a it's definitely like a it's like a it's a it's a road it's a road revenge violent movie. A lot of fun. It sounds right up my alley. Okay, yeah. so Pixie. And Way better uh, than uh, some other things that you tried to defend recently. So uh, I'd take a look at it. Oh, my God. I'm, oh, look oh, at that. So We're cool. out of time. <laughs> look at that. Oh, <laughs> okay, so we will um, we'll be on stereo for our exclusive Stuck at Home uh, edition on stereo on Friday. I believe it's be 4 o'clock. Please all join us there, by the way. So until then, everybody, stay safe, stay sane, stay strong. Jason Smith. Dorfman, I love you, everybody. Talk to you soon. We're stuck in-